This morning, um, our theme is the statement from the Apostles' Creed um, that you believe that we believe in Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And this is the belief that Mary became pregnant miraculously without the help of Joseph um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the more well-known beliefs of, um, the, of the Christian faith. And yet it's one that many people don't really get. Um, perhaps you think it's a fairy tale detail that's added for, for kids, maybe in the Christmas story. If you're watching and you're not a Christian, you prob I probably think that the virgin birth concept's a bit strange. But what I'm going to attempt to do is to convince you actually that it's really, really important and it's um, an inspiring doctrine as well. Um, and I want to do that by beginning in a sort of a place you may not expect in the Bible. And that is in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. The book of Revelation is a vision that the Apostle John had when he was in eg exile on the island of Pat Patmos. Um, and it was a, uh, a vision about Jesus and about the end of time. And we get to peer behind the curtains of heaven and see what's going on in the heavenly realms. It's an ancient Hebrew apocalyptic literary style which uses colourful imagery and numbers and symbols to communicate otherworldly concepts. Now, I'm telling you all of this. Now, you're thinking, what, why is Peter getting into all of this? I'm telling you all of this because I don't want you to freak out because what I'm about to read you involves a seven-headed dragon. And so it's a bit weird. Um, and this is actually a, an apocalyptic imagery for uh, Satan, evil personified in Satan. So what John sees in Revelation 12 is a vision of a woman giving birth. Now, it's not Mary he sees. Um, it's actually Mary, uh, the woman in this, in this vision is standing in for, I guess, the community from where the Messiah is going to emerge. Um, I guess you could say Israel itself. And she's crying in pain. She just wants that baby born. And peering over her in this vision is a seven-headed dragon. The dragon stands in front of the woman who's about to give birth so that it might devour the child the moment it is born. Well, in the vision, she gives birth to a son, a male child who will rule over the nations with an iron scepter. This is Jesus Christ. And then it says the child was snatched up to God and to his throne, which is talking about the ascension when Jesus ascended to sit at the right hand of God. But before he ascended to heaven in the vision, it says a war broke out between the dragon and, and the archangel Michael. And as a result of this war, Satan and his evil angels were flung down to earth. And the dragon, Satan, set about leading the whole world astray. And then John continues in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 to 11, and he says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, 
they did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Do I have your attention now? This is a, a fantastical vision. I love it. Um, it tells us that the birth of this child was so important because it caused God to triumph over Satan and over evil. You see, God's whole plan to save the world from evil begins with the birth of a child who is destined to defeat evil. So the birth of Jesus is not any old birth story. It is a key moment in the cosmic battle between good and evil. So what I want to do this morning is say two things about why the doctrine that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary is, is um, a doctrine that should make us excited and also, secondly, it should make us joyful. So why Jesus' conception, first of all, by the Holy Spirit should make us excited? Well, again, I'm going to jump from Revelation all the way back to the book of Genesis, the beginning. And at the beginning of time, in Genesis 1, it says that the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Fast forward to nine or so months before Jesus was born. And an angel came to Mary and told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So we have two beginnings and two creations. And it seems that whenever God creates, his spirit hovers over the darkness and makes life out of nothing. In the first creation, God took then the lifeless Adam who was created out of the dust, out of the ground, and breathed his spirit into him and brought him to life. And through Mary, in this second great creation, the world received a newer, and greater Adam. The first Adam led the world into darkness and death, but this new Adam would lead the world into light and life. God's power in Mary's womb marked the arrival of God's kingdom. The new creation had begun. Bishop Tom Wright preached a sermon a few years back. And he said that Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit tells us that something fresh was happening within the old world, beyond the reach and dreams of the possibilities we currently know. And let me show you that first fresh and otherworldly thing that has happened beyond our wildest dreams. You see, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is like the first Adam, in that he's a full human being. But he's unlike Adam, and this is the surprising thing, because he's so filled with the presence of God that every part of his humanity is filled with divine energy. He is born of a, of a woman, and he is conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is human, and he is divine, fully human and fully God. So the fact that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit highlights how much this Holy Spirit is now going to be involved in his life and his ministry. Jesus' life is drawn directly from the source of God's own creative energy. In his mother's womb, Jesus already had the Spirit with him. 
And wherever he goes, the spirit goes too. When Mary goes and meets her cousin Elizabeth, the, the baby in Elizabeth's womb um, leaps for joy and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. When he began his public ministry, he was baptised and he received the Holy Spirit. The Spirit then led him into the desert for his time of temptation. Jesus then did his ministry in the power of the Spirit, it says in Luke 4 verse 14. And this was the proof that the kingdom of God had at last arrived. The spirit flowed out of him when the bleeding woman touched the hem of his garment and she was instantly healed. When he lay dead in the tomb, it was the spirit that breathed life into his body, bringing him back to life. And it was a spirit that poured out on the day of Pentecost. So the tongues of fire descended on Jesus' disciples and they were transformed from a lifeless rabble of frightened followers into fearless witnesses of the resurrection. So the same spirit who formed Jesus in his mother's womb came to all of Jesus' followers. Jesus, fully God, fully human, is the bearer of the spirit and the sender of the spirit. In him, the spirit creates a new beginning for the whole human race. And so, this is why the concept of Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit should make us excited. Well, secondly, why should the virgin birth make us joyful? Because it should. Now, miraculous birth stories are all through the Bible. You may not realise this, but they are. And often they mark a turning point in the history of God's people. Think of the older couple, Abraham and Sarah. They can't conceive and fall pregnant, and yet God chooses them and tells them via an angel that they will have a large family, to which they say to the angel, you are crazy. That's uh, not the exact wording, but that's my paraphrase. In my band, uh, the Anti-Fall Movement, we've got a new album that was supposed to come out in the middle of this year. It's going to come out after all this crazy time is over. But it's got a song in it called um, Sarah, which is exactly about this story. Um, and the hook line for the singers is, um, Sarah, she's going to have a baby, she's going to have a baby, she's going to have a baby. And then the, and the first verse says, it says um, you're crazy, you're crazy to the angels. Anyway, you can look forward to the song. <laughs> when Sarah has this baby, in her old age, the child is named Laughter, or in Hebrew, Isaac, because of the joy of his parents. Sarah has given birth to God's promise. Fast forward in time to, to um, the next significant major turning point in the history of Israel, which is the birth of Moses, Exodus chapter 2. Moses' mother conceived him in the normal kind of way, relatively unremarkable way, um, although you could say all conception is a miracle in some sense. But however, his earliest months involved a miraculous escape from danger. He's, he was saved from being killed uh, by Pharaoh's command with all the other Hebrew newborn boys, and his mum put him in a basket and sent him down the river where he's picked up by an Egyptian princess from the royal household. And the story continues to Moses leading them out of slavery. Fast forward again, um, when Israel arrives at the promised land before they establish a kingship, God raises up another important leader for Israel, uh, for the Hebrew people. This time he raises up a judge. The greatest of all judges was the most famous of them, Samson. 
and his life begins with a miraculous birth. Samson's mother, mother could not conceive, but like with Sarah, an angel came to her to tell her that she will give birth to a saviour who will defeat the Philistines. Well, eventually, fast forward again, the Hebrew people move into a new age where they had prophets and kings. And the story begins um, with the birth of the first great, great prophet um, in, this, in this period. Um, and the, his mother's name was Hannah, who's terribly sad because she can't have a baby, 1 Samuel 1. She cries out to God and he answers her prayer, making her miraculously pregnant. Hannah gives birth to Samuel, who becomes a prophet, who will anoint the first kings of Israel, Saul and David. And after Samuel's birth, God sends to Israel a series of prophets in his line. So every time Israel has a major turning point, there is a woman who gets pregnant, often in remarkable circumstances, and a child born by the powerful promises of God. Israel's story is full of miraculous births. And later in their history, the Israelites were taken from the promised land and led into captivity, into Babylonian captivity. And this is a time of grief and suffering. They were not able to live in, in freedom. They had no idea how long this period would last. And in their ache rose up the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied that the deliverance that Israel would hope for would be similar to the joy of miraculous pregnancy. This theme of pregnancy and childhood is woven throughout their history throughout their covenantal relationship with God and how that unfolded. God's plan was to bless the nations through Abraham's descendants. And if the Hebrew women stopped having children, the promise would have failed. The whole world would be lost. So pregnancy and childbirth was one of God's methods of fulfilling his promise through the ups and downs of their history. So it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody when Israel's Messiah should be born by means of a miraculous pregnancy. In the New Testament, we meet Elizabeth, another faithful Hebrew woman who can't get pregnant. And if you are a Jewish person and you're hearing this story about Elizabeth, it might start to trigger alarm bells, mightn't it? Because suddenly she does get pregnant after an angel appears and and she has a child. And you're going, oh, I wonder what's going on. Is God doing something for our people? And then there's suddenly another woman in a similar situation. Elizabeth's cousin, Mary. She's not even married yet. If you're a Jewish person hearing these stories, your, your expectations are skyrocketing. Not one, but two women. What's going on here? Who is this child going to be? And an angel tells Mary that she's going to miraculously conceive and that her child will be the fulfillment of all God's promises to Israel. And you think to yourself as a Hebrew person listening to this story, could this be the one that Isaiah prophesied about, saying that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel? Is this the Emmanuel, God with us? Mary understood exactly what was going on. Her response was to trust God and she was filled with joy. And she wrote a joyful song about it. Remember, Sarah laughed at the news of her pregnancy. Hannah's joy wiped away her tears when she gave birth to Samuel. Uh, but the birth of Mary's boy would bring joy to all of the world. 
because this was the joy of salvation. And this is why the angels sung glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is why the shepherds spread the word about this wondrous thing that had happened and returned singing glory to God and praising him for this wonderful news. So now that you've heard all of this, does it seem strange that Jesus Christ was born of a Virgin Mary? This is not a random event to explain an awkward teen pregnancy. The miraculous birth of Jesus was the pinnacle event in a series of miraculous saviour figures whom God to send, who God sent to Israel. It was a fulfilment of the story of God's love and kindness to his people. So when you say that you believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, remind yourself of God's big story. His promise to Abraham, the exodus from Egypt with Moses, the rule of the judges with Samson, the coming of the prophets and kings with Samuel, and the promised deliverance from exile. It's an amazing story that gives us joy. And to finish, I just want to speak now to those expectant mums in our congregation. I think there's about four of you that I know of, um, some who, whose babies are due uh, really, really soon in a matter of weeks. And I know that you didn't plan to be having your child giving birth in the midst of a global pandemic where we, we would all be socially distancing. You expected that you would be surrounded by friends and family, and you hoped that you'd be able to bring your newborn to play group and to church and have your Christian friends, community celebrate with you and surround you. Um, and this must be quite disappointing. Well, let me encourage you to hold on to the fact that Mary gave birth in strange circumstances as well. She was away from home. They were dangerous times. Herod was on a campaign to kill Hebrew newborn boys. And yet, yet Mary put her trust and hope in God and his promises. My encouragement to you is to bring your disappointment to God but then try and be joyful as Mary was joyful. There was a great article um, by Brian Rosner uh, published on Monday in, on the ABC Religion and Ethics page. Brian Rosner is the principal of Ridley College. And he um, was writing about coping with disappointments um, in this time of COVID-19. And he used Bonhoeffer who had to cope with many disappointments. And he said in the article to be cheerful not superficially cheerful, but cheerful because of your unshakable confidence in God. And quoting Bonhoeffer, he wrote, I'm traveling with gratitude and cheerfulness along the road where I'm being led. My past life is brim full of God's goodness and my sins are covered by the forgiving love of Christ crucified. <laughs>